For anyone who may not know me, my name is Scott. I'm just one of the teachers here in Gospel Roots. Uh, over the, la the last few weeks, we've really been digging into this idea of how, how do we lead one another? What does that look like within the church context? And we've been talking a lot about this term called elders. Um, and so we, we started off, Sean and uh, Pastor Brian talked about whether or not having this authority over the church is a good thing or a bad thing. And we kind of wrestled through that a little bit and some of the struggles that that presents and how we can overcome some of those things. Adam then walked us through how God is our ultimate shepherd. He is the, the model that we are to seek. And that is ultimately where we gain our comfort from knowing that God is the good shepherd. Last week, Grable helped us to, to wrap our minds around how shepherds minister to their flocks and, and some of the rules and expectations that, that the church has given for shepherds. And one of the, the, the most important things that I think that we've kind of uncovered as we've gone through this is we've kind of established that the idea of the pastor shepherd, the elder, the overseer, the, the teacher, those are all synonyms for the same office. They all point to the same office within the church. And so we see that those terms are used interchangeably depending on the context, and there are various little nuances to it, but generally it speaks to the same office. And so as we look in our uh, scripture this morning, we're going to see that as well. So our goal for this morning is, is this. How do we find these men? What are the qualifications for an elder? What does this look like? How do they live day in and day out to reach a, a, an opportunity to lead within the church? How does that look like in everyday life? So we're going to jump right into the main idea for this morning, and that is that elders must be men of consistency, consistently ex exemplary, trouble with that one, Christian character. They must lead their families well and must be able to teach God's word. So we're going to expand upon this, but these are three big points that we really need to hone in on when we're looking at qualifications for who is going to be leading the church. Now, as, as we've had in past weeks, there's going to be a lot of discussion, and so I encourage you that if you, you know, have questions or know something that you want to like shout out, we're like family here. You can just shout it out whenever, uh, whenever you know. So we encourage you to do that. So we're going to be spending a lot of time here in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, this will be verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so you can follow along up on the screen with me. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests into his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer, because he might become proud, and the devil could cause him to fall. Also, 
people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be a disgrace and fall into the devil's trap. So right off the bat, we see that someone who is aspiring to be a church leader, someone who rises to the top uh, and, and is being considered for an elder is someone who desires an honorable position. This is a, a position that, that is very respectable within the church. And scripture is very clear on what qualifies someone to be recognized from the church as an elder. It's not just, we say, oh, well, how about you, 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 and you? You know, there, there's qualifications that, that Paul lays out. So we're gonna park here for a while and we're gonna go through 14 of these different aspects and qualifications that Paul lays out. And so some of these we're going to be very familiar with and we're gonna say, well, of course that should be a qualification. But I want to look at it not just as a definition. I want to look at it and have a discussion around, okay, so we know what it is, but how should that be lived out day to day from an elder of our church? So let's think about this as we move through these. First one is they need to be above reproach. And we see this in verse two. So this simply means that uh, the, the man would be consistent in godly character not openly living in a serious sin. Now, obviously we can't hold church leaders to be sinless. We can't expect them not to sin. So what would this mean or how could this be presented in everyday life for someone being considered to be an elder? What, what would it mean or how would it look for them not to be above reproach? Someone thought of well? Yeah. yeah. Someone who's repented. They, they repent of their sins. Someone who, is, who has openly repented, who, who talks about struggles they've had. Yeah. Someone who's open to discipline. Someone open to discipline. Yeah. Which I guess would, would also uh, come in line with someone who you can confront with sin that's happening in their life. One more. Displays humility. humility. Yeah. Yeah, those are all good, good definitions of how, how we can look at that. We also see that an elder is a husband of one wife. This is literally translated a one woman man. So this has gotten uh, some debate within the church over the years. But the vast majority of the church uh, interprets this to mean how, how the, the New Living Translation defines it. And that is a man who is faithful to his wife. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that in order to be an elder, you must be married. That is not necessarily what that means. Nor does it mean that anyone who is divorced is disqualified from being an elder within the church. It says that the man must be faithful to his wife. Third one is sober-minded. 
So sober-minded, self-control, and uh, live wisely, be respectable, all refer to similar qualities. So kind of building off of the being above reproach, what does it look like to be sober-minded, to live wisely, to be self-controlled in everyday life? And, and how is that helpful for a leader within the church? So someone who recognizes, um, how, how do you say that? Someone who recognizes seriousness. the seriousness of, of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Yeah. How, how does that benefit the church? Anyone? <laughs> but if no one answers, I'm coming back to you. <laughs> Why would it be good to have elders... Why, why would that be a, a, a qualification? Someone who is, you know, who understands the seriousness of the gospel, the weight of the gospel. Why? Because if you're caring for people, the particular purpose of an elder is to shepherd others. And so what are you shepherding them in? The gospel. But if you don't hold that to be of the highest standard, then... So we're saying it's kind of, um, in a way, a trickle down, where if you have the leaders who are well-versed, they understand they're, they're living sober-mindedly, they're living under self-control, they're living wisely. That is something when modeled is going to be absorbed by those that they're leading. And there's focus there. And focus. Uh, like Carly mentioned, they're, they're to, to care for people. And so in, in our text, it says they need to be willing to invite people into their homes. They must be hospitable. They need to show a genuine care for others. And this often looks like having those conversations. And, and sometimes to get to, to root heart level things that we talk about, you know, here, here in Gospel Roots, that means you have to have more intimate settings for that to take place. That may not be just preaching. That may be having a, a conversation around a, a table. And so what, what is the benefit to having elders who are actively inviting people into their homes and getting to know the members that, they're, that they have been given oversight over? Why, why does that benefit the church as a whole? Or, or is that just a benefit for a select few? So it builds continuity, it builds community amongst people. Yeah. What else? Building into into real life. You know, you can walk in the church doors on a Sunday morning and give a persona of a well put together family, but when you're willing to let somebody into your life, they they get to see your flaws and your areas of weakness and the areas that you rely on and all of the areas you rely on Christ. But Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean if if you're gathering together, you're going to eventually get past that surface level of, you know, oh yeah, like this, this is how we do things. And you get down to when your kids are screaming and throwing fits and things don't go the way you want, or 
something gets burnt in the oven because you forgot to take the rolls out. You know, not that this has ever happened. <laughs> you know, you get to see how people react in those moments. Is that important to be able to get a window into the real life of those that are leading within your church? I would say that this says, yes, that's vital to, to being able to understand on how to lead. If you don't know where the sin is, how do you direct them back to the gospel? They must be able to teach. So we're going to jump to this slide. We're going to move up to Titus 1. Because this talks about why it's important for elders to be able to teach. Speaking of an elder, he says, He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it they were wrong. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. What's the difference between teaching and giving your thoughts on something? The source. So the, the giving your thoughts on something is your personal opinion. Teaching is going to a source that can make you think to be the word of God. So I think it's one carries a lot more weight than Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> defining your source and saying this is where this information is being pulled from versus just this is what I think about this subject. What what would be another Right, so con context, yeah, the context matters. And so teaching would be someone who is able to look at uh, the whole of it and then understand by tying other pieces of scripture where it comes together and presenting it as saying, based on the overall trajectory of an overall you know, establishment of how they write about a particular topic, 
this is how we would interpret, this is what we would interpret it to say, versus saying, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it says it right there. I mean, that's, and then giving your opinion from outside sources, going back to what Brian was saying, yeah, someone, the importance of teaching is being able to look deeper into a text past the surface level to be able to then use, you know, in our workshops, we use observation, interpretation, application. So being able to do that in a way to tie scripture to what it meant for the original audience, take that out to, to how it applies within the gospel, and then apply that to your people. That is how you teach. Otherwise, that's how you teach scripture. That is vastly different than me reading from this book to you on something that's not teaching. That is reading to you. It's, it's being able to look deeper and draw something out a little more. We'll come back to this in, in a moment. Not a drunkard. Even though there are varying opinions on alcohol within the church, scripture is clear. So biblically speaking, to be qualified as an elder, one must not be a drunkard or lover of wine. So this would be someone who is regularly intoxicated. Um, and, and tying this back uh, or over to not being violent uh, but gentle, this is someone who is unable to, to demonstrate and exhibit self-control. So we could say that about being quarrelsome, being violent, being a lover of money, which brings us to number 12, manages a good home. So this is gonna tie into what Yvette was talking about. Why would, how someone manages their home possibly help or hurt their case for being considered for being an elder, for someone who is being called to lead their church. Why should that be put into consideration? Yeah. 
Again, I'm looking at um, learning in our home is a great opportunity for this. I am leading a senior class of eight. It's off for soul. So if we're managing a big home, part of it's manage a big home. So as the goal is encouraging the home for household goals. And if that's the case in the home, then that will be the case in the, the system as well. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot a lot of good points. I mean, does that make it, I'm just going to throw a question out there, does that make it more difficult for a single man to demonstrate that? Why? You don't have the same responsibilities. I mean, not, not all that I look down on somebody who it, it hasn't been in that position yet, but there are things that our four boys have taught us that we did not know <laughs> before we raised four boys. Yeah. I think that it doesn't that there no matter who you are, whether you're a single guy or a you know, a guy that has you know, a bunch of kids, is you're gonna lead well if you have an inner circle, no matter if it's familial or, you know, friendships or whatever. And I think what I think of um, when it comes to this is um, thinking that the church just like exploded is exploding, is it would be so easy for a leader just be focusing on expanding their kingdom and forsaking the people that are closest to you. So I think this kind of rings true uh, for me a little bit is we can, you know, just force the creed and, and forsake our family um, in, in our ministry of the word. And so managing a, a good home kind of looks like the character of, you know, leaving the 99 to go after the guys that lost Yeah, this this is where the idea of the shepherd kind of comes in. So to, to what Adam was saying, you know, if, if someone is so focused on leading the church well that they're not leading their home well, you know, shepherds are responsible for souls and every soul matters. And so we, we need to be cautious. And, and this is where we need to extend some grace to our leaders knowing that that is a responsibility that they are not taking lightly, that they have been given a, the, the task, the, the privilege in, in most cases to, to be able to watch over the souls of those whom they are shepherding. And so, yes, we, we cannot sit as just people and say, well, they've, they've never reached out to me. Reach out to them, talk to them. There, there is many, many things happening that, that we may not know is going on within the church. And so we need to be, it's a two-way street to gain that, to gain that respect, to gain that knowledge and to gain that camaraderie that we're seeking within a church. You know, if we say that we are a, a family here, that doesn't mean that one person does all of the talking or, or we wait. It means that we can reach out, we can ask, how can we pray for you? How can we help you? How, how can we come alongside you and support you? You know, how, how is your family doing? Can we support your family? Are there things that we can come together on? And so you can do that as, as a single person as well. You know, how are you caring for your friends? How are you caring for other people within the church? And, and so those are things that we need to observe whenever we're considering folks for uh, being a, a shepherd or an elder in, within a church. 
Verse 6 says that they must not be a recent convert. So the, the cool thing about when you first come to Christ, there is typically an energy that you just cannot explain when that new birth happens. When, when your heart is just grabbed by the Spirit, you are like a vacuum. Like you just want to get closer and closer to Christ. But that can lead into making some rash decisions, not having some experience that can go that you can learn over time. So Paul is warning that by having that lack of understanding experience, it would not be wise uh, to have a, a new convert to be an elder. There's character that hasn't been proven yet, and and therefore, you know, that is something that other elders, if they see potential in someone, they can come alongside and disciple and equip and, and build them up so that they may later on become an elder. And then the last one is thought well of by outsiders. And so th this, can, this can run a, a gray line. So you can focus so much on having a good reputation in the public that you begin to blur lines within the church. So an example of this would be, if, if we just want to be known as the best, the most awesome GBC ever, and we begin to compromise things that we believe so that other people will see us as more favorable, we forsake the gospel. We must be well thought of because we stick to what we believe. This means that we treat others with opposing opinions, with love, with respect. It doesn't mean that we go out and trash them, but there does need to be a line of demarcation there where we aren't allowing outside influence into our church just so that we look good. We must stick to what the gospel uh, is and build off of that. So we've gone through 14 of these characteristics or qualifications, and by no means did we exhaust the, de the depths of them. But I want to ask, how would a church body know these characteristics to be true about someone if someone's being considered to be an elder? We talked a little bit about it, but how do you truly know? How, how can you get a grasp of, yes, this, this person here, we believe truly fulfills these qualifications? How do we as a church get to that point? You got to get to know them. Does that take time? You got to get past surface level. How else? What kind of conversations could you have to get past that surface level? Personal conversations and feelings open up. 
Got to poke a little bit. Yeah. You got to see if they're willing. We, we talked about it earlier. Are, are they willing to admit struggles that they have? Are they willing, are they willing to be open? A, a characteristic of a good leader is someone who is relatable. You know, if they come in and they, they are very, very tight and very, you know, standoffish, that's typically not going to be something that's going to communicate well to the congregation. One thing that you might have looked at this and said, those seem pretty familiar for anyone who's a Christian. Like, if you're a Christian, you should be above reproach, husband to one wife, sober-minded, self-control, live wisely, thought well, recent, not a, re well, other than recent convert, uh, manage a good home, not a lover. I mean, these are all qualifications that just Christians have. Aside from being a new convert, the one that Paul really sticks out on is being able to teach. So this is what really separates Christians from those to be considered for elders. So as teachers of the word, we've already talked a little bit about it, teaching the word is what shapes the church. Giving opinions, giving you know, ideas on culture and you know, programs that we run does not shape the church. You can develop programs without a true heart. Teaching the word is where we are nourished. Teaching the word is where we grow closer to God. It's where we see who God is and what he's done for us. And through understanding that, we grow in our love of God, which drives us to want to serve within our church. So going back to Titus, it says he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message. That's the gospel that he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it that they are wrong. If someone says, we believe that, uh, I don't even know, they, they give a, a false teaching, a teacher needs to be able to say, that is not true. Here's how we know it's not true. It's going back to the source of truth and being able to interpret and being able to communicate that well to other people. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it, it does need to to be said. Can women be elders? Here's what scripture says. Paul addresses this question in 1 Timothy 2 verses 12 and 13. This is out of the English Standard Version. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul says that women should not teach or hold the authority over men. So part of an elder's responsibility is to teach the word corporately to the whole church and to help care spiritually for its members. He uses his grounds for this uh, in the creation where he says that Adam was formed first, thus he has the authority over the women. So therefore, through scripture, we would say that women do not have the opportunity to serve as elders, as leaders in the church. That does not mean that they can't hold other roles within the church, but specifically for an elder they are not. So a couple questions as we wrap up. Understanding where we are in our context here at GBC. We see these qualifications, or we saw them. How can knowing these qualifications for the elders of our church 
guide how you pray for leadership in our church? How does that shape how you pray for those who have been placed as elders within our church? In our context, that would be our, our pastoral staff. Carol? For protection? Yeah, praying protection would, would be major in that. How else? It helps you to pray more specifically for people. And it, when you pray more specifically for people, I think it helps you to be more empathetic and more compassionate yeah. with those people because you're looking at them as another person with heart issues and, and things that they deal with. You don't expect them to be perfect because they yeah. cannot be perfect. So you pray for those specific areas because you know those are yeah. those can be issues and are issues. Yeah. It, it helps you to prevent putting them up on a pedestal and saying, "Well, they got it figured out. They were elected to this position." You know, no, they they are men struggling through all of these things as well. And it, it provides a lot of empathy. One more. Uh, this doesn't pertain to that, so let me sidestep this for a minute. All right, we'll sidestep. Uh, Yeah, and, and I guess my, my thought on that would be, and this is just my thought, that if, if you are someone who is prayerfully considering it, the Spirit would weld that desire in your heart where you would say, I feel a desire to dedicate time to helping people within our church body. Uh, and, and so that, that is something where, where I think prayer, we, we sometimes... I don't want to say don't utilize it well, but, but we, we pray kind of nonchalant where we can be specific in prayer. We can ask the Spirit to, to really work in our hearts and then have the expectation that God will work in our hearts, whether that is answering that prayer in the, in the affirmative, saying, yes, I am feeling a desire to lead in this capacity, or no, I'm not feeling a desire. But then this is where as you are hospitable and as you're having these conversations, you can be blunt with people and say, man, I'm not feeling led in that capacity or no, I am feeling led. Get some feedback from those around you to see, am I above reproach? Am I living wisely? Do people think well of me? Like, is it a good idea for me to pursue this? I think those are all good questions to be able to ask. And last one. What are some practical ways that you can encourage these qualities in other members of your church? I kind of played my card, but what, what are some other ways that you can encourage these kinds of qualities in, within our church body? 
first step is awareness um, that those that those qualities exist. Yeah. You know, and I really like the discussion around um, like getting in the homes and, and stuff like that because, in my opinion, that's what discipleship actually happens. You know, Bible study is like a transfer, trans, uh, transfer of like information type, which would be great to say, hey, here's some qualities that kind of supposed to be called to live by yeah. but then the before and after the Bible study is kind of where you uh, kind of like okay you're off base remember we talked about this mm-hmm. you know kind of reorient back to that um, which is a pretty practical way to help people yeah uh, yeah so our goal was to look at how how do we qualify people how do we say this is someone who would be a good fit, a godly man who can help lead, not just in functions of the church, but lead spiritually in our church? There is always a need for spiritual leaders within a church. It's hardly ever the case where there are more spiritual leaders than needed. So here's our main idea. Elders, and I'll see if I can get it right. Elders must be men of consistently exemplary Christian character, must lead their families well, and must be able to teach God's word. So one of the ways that we can help develop is by helping people to teach, helping people to know how to study God's word. And so I would encourage you, if you man or woman, it's good to know how to study God's Word. Consider coming to one of our, uh, our uh, Bible workshops. Next one wasn't on the calendar, but it is February 21st, uh, 6.30 in the youth room. So I would encourage you to do that. That's one of the ways that we can help encourage. I was just going to say that the format that you do here with rotating teachers uh, is a good way to do that too because you guys have to study during the week We, we, we appreciate that. Thank you. Next week, Sean will be back up and he will be taking us through deacons. This is going to be a little bit of a shift. Uh, they are the servants of the church, so we hope that you'll be able to catch us next week. Same time, same place. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>